And I believe that we have six members in attendance, so we have a quorum. So I'd like to call this meeting to order. Uh, thank you everyone for coming. Uh, Serena, are you going to uh, do roll call and reading of uh, order of operations? Sure. Um, you want to do roll call first? Let's do roll call first. Okay. All right. Lance? Hello. Here. Uh, Max? Schieber? Here. Mike Wazikowski? Obviously here. Obviously here. Nick Kuzmiak? Here. Alan Acklin? Here. Gregory Critchlow? Not here. Uh, Bill Wilson? August Rudisell, Freddie Gipp. Okay, well, we have six so far. Present. That is definitely a quorum. It's a quorum. Oh, and Frederick Gipp is signing on right now. He is okay. <clears throat> All right, I will mark him as here. Can we go through the introduction? Yes, uh, please read the rules of uh, order for Zoom meetings. All right, all right, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Serena Pearson. Um, I'm with Lawrence Transit, and here with me is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, we'll work uh, alongside Mike Wazikowski to, to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Adam and myself will facilitate the Zoom portion of the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access channel, cable, uh, cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left hand of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video on and off by clicking the video icon on the menu. For the purpose of this public meeting, please keep your video on when you are participating in the meeting. When you are not participating, it is okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you're participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to PTAC Chair Mike Wazikowski. Thank you very much, Serena. Uh, next item on the agenda is public comment. Do we have anyone in attendance in the commission room who would like to make a public comment? This is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. We don't have anyone here in the room with us, and uh, we did not receive any written comment before the meeting. Good. And I see nobody on the uh, line either who uh, would be providing public comments. So. Uh, We'll assume no public comment today. Uh, 
So next item on the agenda is approving the minutes from our June meeting. So as usual, uh, we'll adopt these minutes by unanimous consent after everyone has an opportunity to uh, provide amendments to the minutes if they so desire. So uh, if you have not read through them, please take a moment now. Now last three times, does anyone have any amendments to offer? Are there any amendments to the minutes to offer? Last call, any amendments? Okay, hearing none, the minutes are approved by unanimous consent. Next item on the agenda is an update on the multimodal transfer facility from transit staff. Adam, I believe you have a presentation. I do. Uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. A second to share my screen. Adam, I think you should flip the what slides you're showing. We're getting the more presentation view. I agree. Give me a second here. All right, we're going to go this way, I think. Um, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So I've got uh, just a handful of slides here to walk through. Uh, give you an update on the transit facility. So uh, we need to talk through a fourth concept that has been developed for the primary site out at Bob Billings and Crestline, um, and we'll talk through some of the reasons for that. Uh, that has led to some shifting of the timeline, at least on the front end here, so we'll talk through what that looks like. And um, our survey that was soliciting people's feedback on both the primary and primary site as well as the secondary um, uh, transfer improvements downtown. Um, I'll give you some indication of what the uh, general comments look like from that Lawrence Listens that was out for about a month. Um, we have still some analysis work to do, but I can give you some early indication of what sort of things are uh, coming to the forefront. So uh, concept four. So out at Bob Billings and Crestline, we have been working with the consultants um, and have been struggling to uh, get within budget. Um, there's a few key things that were driving uh, some of the budget from the, the early three <coughs> concepts that we had out on the web. Um, most primary being um, just how much we had to cut into the hillside. Uh, you see the tree line here. Um, about where that starts is where the hillside really starts to slope up more steeply towards the back of the Dole Center and the Lead Center. And the three options we had tried to minimize that, but, but we're still struggling to do so, um, which was leading to a lot of uh, cut and fill activity. So cutting into the hillside, filling in to create a flat area, um, and then the resulting retaining wall from that. So um, there was some significant cost driving because of that. 
Um, another piece that was really driving the cost was uh, was trying to to build a new facility from scratch um, and looking at the tie-ins to utilities and that sort of thing. Uh, particularly some options where we put the facility on the central island itself was creating additional cost for that island because it was wider, uh, additional canopy costs because we would have needed to run canopies down either side of the island instead of a, of a single one. So uh, with that knowledge, the consultants went back and, and um, you know, we're taking into account things we were hearing from people through the survey, but also some real uh, just cost considerations we were facing and have developed this fourth concept. So I'll walk through some of the key differences and changes and uh, then we'll have plenty of time for you to ask questions and um, we can walk through any of those. <coughs> so. One of the big changes you'll notice is that things have really shifted to become a lot closer and more parallel to Bob Billings. Um, in some of the earlier concepts, the platform had been angled, maybe farther away from the streets. Um, all of that's really been pulled up to the north, uh, closer to Bob Billings, which helps us out with a lot of the slope issues. Another um, significant change is that the facility that's proposed still meets the needs that we have for the amount of size uh, for um, the type of programming activities we want in there. But it now uh, reuses a portion of an existing KU facility that exists um, kind of below this area. So there are a couple of KU buildings over here and, and KU has essentially said that they are not critical to their operations if we needed to demolish them or reuse them for this project. They were open to us doing that. There is some limited, uh, like a ceramics class activity going on in the easternmost building that you still see in this picture. Um, but there's really nothing of consequence going on in the western building. So uh, consultants and engineers took another look at that and the it appears that the steel supports and the concrete um, slab are in good shape on, on this western facility. So um, we think that uh, very possible that we can, and um, we're planning on moving forward with repurposing that building, about half of it that you see here in blue. The other half would have room for um, a roadway that would come in and out of the small parking area as well as the pickup and drop off area. And then this, uh, kind of striped area is a canopy that um, people getting dropped off before they walk into the building would be underneath a, a canopy area. So that is a significant change from some of the other concepts that the public has seen. Um, you know, I know there were a lot of, there was a lot of interest in, uh, like I mentioned, the facility being on the platform itself so that when people were uh, not only transferring between buses, but going to and from customer service or the restroom. Uh, they wouldn't have to cross anywhere. They would be all in a kind of a pedestrian platform. Um, reality is that that just won't be feasible. Putting it on there, like I mentioned, creates those costs with more paving, um, additional canopy coverage uh, that, that we just can't afford. So there will be this one crossing um, to and from the facility. Um, we, th we think that'll still be uh, 
plenty safe. You know, there's not going to be automobile traffic through here. This will be buses only. So um, the, the type of movements through here um, and the visibility should be really good for, for safety reasons. Let's see, there will continue to be similar movements on and off the property. So uh, the movements to and from Crestline are still gonna be all directions. So a bus could turn right into the site, it could turn left into the site, it could take a right out or a left out. Um, this would be the option for buses that need to reach a traffic light so that they can turn left, um, headed west. Uh, there will, we are still planning on the option of a right out only for buses out onto Bob Billings um, so that there is some, um, so we can spread out some of our vehicle movements as they depart the facility and not have to send all buses out a single direction. Let's see, a couple other things to note are we have, um, we have shifted the space for commuter services, so things like Greyhound and the K-10 connector. We currently have that on a straight curb area that is not on the platform. You see some dotted lines um, with a note that says bid alternate. So uh, if bids come in for both you know, things like concrete and steel and some of the, the uh, commodities that are higher priced right now, if those um, bids come in lower than expected, we may be able to afford extending the platform and the canopy so that we can get all buses utilizing the single platform, inclusive of the regional services. Um, but as it stands now, that additional concrete and canopy is, is too expensive for our budget, so those regional services would pick up and drop off from this area here with a, a straight curb. I believe I will leave it at that for the facility changes. I may, I've got a few more slides, but I may pause here while we're talking about some of the logistics to see if there's any questions with how this might work. I think this is a good time to break too. So uh, do any PTAC members have comments, questions, or concerns about this design before we proceed timeline and survey results? go first uh nick kuzmiak um p tech member so uh, you're saying that the, the issue of cut and fill for the grade is going to be uh, significant i'm wondering is the um straight curb area for the commuter bus loading uh, zone is that going to be a cut and fill issue because it's kind of into the tree line and if so is is that kind of the only place it could possibly be or is there any way that it can maybe be moved out to the west side where presumably it might be flatter it's just kind of hard to say without seeing the uh, contours on the map or anything yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I think you're right that that is an area that very likely has retaining wall along its southern edge and that, that would be a cut and fill area. I think some of the concern about moving it farther west where maybe it is flatter is just how far away then those people would be from the facility itself. And we would assume people using those services might be going to or from our local services. They might need to use the restroom or ask our customer service a question. So I think um, the costing for this has, a, has uh, accounted for that, the cut and fill in that area. So we, we can afford it with budget. And I think um, 
would be smart to try to keep it as close to the facility as we can. Okay, thanks for the explanation. Um, just kind of exploring that a little further, I assume there's probably some, um, I guess, land development code issues in doing this, but on the north side of the parking lot, would it be possible to do a bump out there instead? I don't know if it, uh, I don't know if there's really quite enough room in between the parking lot and the sidewalk. Um, I just wonder if there's any way to avoid the cut and fill at all, but it, I mean, it sounds like if it, if it comes under budget, then, then this option is probably the best here. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I think um, another thing to keep in mind is this is getting us to concept stage, but we're we're well below, you know, 30% design. So we'll have the remainder of this year to kind of push and pull some of those elements. I guess just so I understand, <coughs> Nick, were you talking about kind of this area maybe, like the greenery that's here? Or are you talking really about like between the building and the parking lot? So I should have specified, sorry. I meant in between the north edge of the bus turnaround area and the street and I guess if you scooch the whole oval slightly down could you wedge flat curbs up there but I don't know if that's possible given whatever required setback you have um, but then there's also the existing parking lot of the KU building and I know you said they were using the building for ceramics class if I heard right but do they require the use of the parking lot as well so uh, Adam Weigel transit and parking manager um, I'm not sure how how much or um, you know to what degree this area for parking is used for that that use I know that one of the um, attractive reasons to also kind of look at this building is the area we have slated for parking is already that it's already the parking lot for the building that's there so um, we definitely want there to be um, strong separation between what we're doing at this site and any parking activity that would happen this way to and from that ceramics area. So uh, I'm not sure if that that answers your question, but I think we um, are trying to kind of reuse what's there. It's it's a little tougher, um, you know. Adam, would you like me to weigh in on that? Sure. Um, this is Margretta DeFries from KU Transportation Services. What you can't see in this satellite image is that to the right end of the remaining existing building is also a parking area. And what is remaining there would be more than sufficient for the use of what they're using uh, on this. It's got plenty of space for the number of cars they need for the ceramic studio. Um, it's not in use. I think it's that large because it used to be a housing maintenance facility. And so they had a lot of maintenance vehicles. But there's certainly not going to be any issue about losing the parking, quote unquote, losing the parking at the other end, because the building that that parking goes with is what would be repurposed as this multimodal facility. Uh, Nick, excuse me, a PTAC member. Thank you both. I, um, I'm kind of starting to understand the site a little bit better. It's just tricky i guess because some's being reused some's being demolished some is new some's being relocated it's kind of all over the place which is really interesting so yeah it sounds like uh y'all and the engineer have gotten really creative with using the site as best as you can so yeah i mean i'm satisfied that it's probably the best option that we can do under the budget hello ptac member um 
I guess I'm concerned about the, the multimodal facility location, reusing that um, with, with part of the existing facility. There's always issues that crop up and everything always, always gets more difficult and more detailed once you get into reusing old uh, facility, older facilities. Um, and I guess if we went with something in that area, pretty much restrict uh, that facility, fix that size. So I'm not sure if there's any issues, or I would maybe see an issue with any long-term uh, expansion. If we ever needed to expand, you you pretty much boxed yourself in. Um, so I'm not sure if that that issue has been been covered. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. That's a good observation. That is one of the trade-offs of this type of uh, pivot. I think you can see um, you can see some flexibility with adding additional bus bay space in the future if needed with that kind of dotted lines. And even if we wanted two more headed that way, we could go more underground water storage and that sort of thing. So like bus bay wise, we've got some flexibility over there, but you are right that facility wise, we would be a little more constrained. Um, I suppose there'd always be um, the opportunity to, you know, we could overtake part of that parking lot and if we needed more parking still you know then we'd probably be faced with cut and fill into the hill and the the cost of that but you could get more space to the south it's just expensive to do so um, so you're right that this does kind of uh, uh, it sets us on a path where we don't have a ton of building expansion flexibility i think um i think from what we've talked about we don't envision needing uh, much much more than this, but um, but that, that is something that would be constrained. Oh, actually, PTAC member. Yeah, I just, a number of projects, I, I think back a number of times I've heard, oh, we're surely, this will be plenty of enough space, we'll never need any more space for expansion. And then you find yourself down the road, and, you know, they're really restrained and then you kind of end up spending more money in the long run than you would have if you'd maybe allowed the possibility on the front end. But, you know, realize the budget constraints. And then the other issue is the commuter bus loading area. You know, the idea of having the, that location, um, it just looks like, you know, that's that could be a real safety issue with people having to cross across the uh, driving areas and, you know, I know that's supposed to be a, a bus in and out, but if there's an open space, um, you know, people will drive through there regardless. Um, especially, you know, it's, it's on campus. So you get a lot of a lot of people that uh, uh, might take advantage of cutting across that intersection. Who knows? But it's just uh, some issues there that um, maybe may you know it, it may be a concern in the future. Just just the idea of going in with the design that. You know, the only way you can get into do, doing that is to, you know, cut into the side of the hill and have those buses out to the side instead of expanding the central area. You know, it might be just like I said, it's good to take a look at the numbers and take a look at the costs. It's just that, you know, I just hate to see an option presented that really isn't, you know, really isn't the best option to start with. This is Mike Wazikowski, PTAC Chair. Uh, so listening again, do any other uh, PTAC members have comments, questions, concerns about this design? 
Okay. That sound silence is good for now. Uh, so Adam, let's go on to the timeline then. Sure. Uh, Adam Weigel, transit manager. I will say that this design is um, already up on our website on the project webpage. So uh, if you want to look at it more closely or mull it over more and uh, email any other thoughts or questions, happy to take those. Um, there are, we did also replace the uh, downtown options on the website. The, nothing has changed with the layouts of those, but um, uh, aesthetically looking at where we anticipate trees going back in are shown a little more clearly in the downtown options, which I think gives a, a clearer picture of what those, those might look like. So um, that's also uh, been updated on the website if you um, have a chance to look at those. So timeline-wise, uh, we, we have pushed ourselves back some. Um, we had originally been slated to go before City Commission tomorrow night with concepts to get direction for both sites on, on advancing preferred concepts. Because we had to take another look at the main site, um, things have been pushed back about a month. So the, the plan now is August 17th is when we would go before the City Commission uh, with preferred concepts. Um, one preferred concept for Bob Billings and one preferred concept for downtown. So um, we will bring back to this group um, the, uh, the different options again and our recommended um, or our preferred concepts, but we would be seeking a, um, a recommended concept out of PTAC um, on August 9th. A week before that, we'll be seeking a recommended concept for each site out of the Multimodal Transportation Commission. Um, so we do hope over the next few weeks before, uh, before August to put together some, um, they may be written materials. I think we're trying to look at some short videos uh, that can help characterize what we've heard through public engagement and public comment and um, and try to address concern or educate on why we're looking at doing certain things, both at Bob Billings and at the downtown sites. Um, so we hope to have some of those materials going up online throughout this month um, for you all, but also for the general public. And um, leading up to August 17th, hopefully we can at least start to address a lot of the questions we've heard um, and are certainly happen happy to address them again at, at each of these upcoming meetings. So that's where we're headed for, for preferred concepts. Uh, if we're able to get uh, preferred concepts advanced in August, then we still should remain on, on path for construction, even pushing ourselves back. I think some of the reusing of building and looking at less cut and fill has helped uh, keep us on track still to open facilities in August of 2022. Um, so the rest of this year would be continuing to work through a final design. Um, putting things out to bid and construction would begin next year um, and really happen through the bulk of the first half of the year. Trying to get things tightened up by uh, sometime in July so we can do some test runs and make sure everything looks and feels okay at these places before we would open in August. So as far as the survey that we had online related to transit facilities, um, I've been working on some of the analysis today. We don't have um, 
don't have engaging graphics for you yet, but I can say that we had um, 120 total uh, respondents to that survey. Um, that essentially it just laid out, it showed the three concepts for Bob Billings and Crestline, it showed the three for downtown, and pretty open-ended text boxes asking people, uh, what do you think? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Uh, what do you like? What do you dislike specifically? And so I tried to characterize at least some of the concerns that have risen towards the top for each site. So uh, for Bob Billings and Crestline, um, some of the, the neighborhood concerns that, that that continue to come up um, that I believe we can address are uh, concerns about bus traffic along Crestline between 6th and Bob Billings. Um, there's very limited amount of that currently. There's uh, Route 30, which is a, a university route, um, does a, a small loop through the Meadowbrook apartment complexes right there using um, a stretch of Crestline that's north of Bob Billings. Um, you know, we'll, we'll find out through route redesign how routes shape up. I, I don't anticipate us needing or wanting to send much bus traffic um, on Crestline between 6th and Bob Billings. I think if we want to go northbound from our site, we're um, much more likely to use Iowa. Um, Iowa and Castled or Lawrence, you know, depending, probably Castled. Lawrence is too tight even for, for a lot of our vehicles. Um, so I think those concerns, you know, we, we obviously haven't finished up route redesign study, but um, I think that from a staff perspective, we, we don't imagine a whole lot of bus traffic along, along Crestline in that area. Um, and then obviously light noise and environmental impact come up with, with most site developments and they'll, uh, they continue to come up with this. So um, I think that will continue to be um, addressed through, through final design and us showing how you know, the different light covers we'll have to focus light where we want it to be while not shining too deep into the neighborhood. Um, you know, of course, part of our long-term work uh, on the noise issue with, with diesel buses, which are loud, are to transition more to electric, which are obviously much quieter. Um, we do also have the, the three-minute idle policy, which we implemented last February. So. If buses are pulling in and um, are going to lay over for longer than three minutes, um, they'll be they'll be turning their engines off um, unless we're in extreme heat or cold. Um, under which cases we we do leave the buses idling for passenger comfort and safety. Um, so those are some of the issues coming up with with Bob Billings and Crestline with downtown uh, parking and deliveries um, continue to come up. Us, you know. Just looking at where, what are reasonable alternatives if, if parking spaces will be impacted, which which they likely would be. Um, how can we mitigate that as best we can? How can we um, use alternative areas that are nearby for people to to do that activity? Um, I think some of the things we're hoping we can educate on or speak to what we hope to achieve not only in the short term but in the, the much longer term is um, I think there's concern over um, why we would want to prioritize core central space in downtown for buses instead of cars. Um, I think from our perspective you know we're, we're obviously um, 
sensitive and want businesses to have people coming in and out of their establishments spending money. Um, we certainly think that it's the it's the people that we want to move more efficiently to and from the downtown area as opposed to the the cars or the buses. Um, and in a very dense area, um, buses can move more people and less space. So that's uh, that's one of the reasons we're we're looking at a central location. Um, also, just as we continue to try to get people using transit, the the more attractive and convenient you can make the transit system, the more uh, you can encourage people to use that. So, um, I think some of the the questions about why why not on the edge of downtown, uh, our, our perspective would be if we really want people to use the transit system, we need it to to take them to a convenient location, um, and we and we do think there's alternatives for where automobiles might be able to park. Um, again, I, th I think the next bullet is, is uh, we, we have some data that can help with this, but I think it's just an educational point. I think there's a lot of perception that, uh, that bus passengers are not people who live downtown, work downtown, or spend money downtown. Um, that's, I don't think that perception is unique to Lawrence, um, but I, I do think it's one that we continue to, ha to have to um, talk through and, and certainly, um, certainly believe there are lots of people who do uh, ride the bus and, and live, work, and spend money downtown. So um, we have some data on, on transfer activity and that sort of thing to, to help demonstrate how many people use the bus that are not simply transferring from one route to another, but are spending some amount of time downtown doing something before using the bus, um, and, and likely doing a lot of the things that uh, other folks are doing, uh, whether it's spending money or pool, library, post office, um, any number of things that people come downtown for. Um, another uh, set of ideas that's come up through, <coughs> through the process that we've heard a lot of is, is questioning why we wouldn't look at um, kind of major redevelopment of privately owned sites. Um, some sites that have come up are the Borders, uh, the Borders site at 7th and New Hampshire, the Journal World building site at 6th between New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Um, South Park has come up as an area. Um, I think that really dating back to the 2018 study, um, it's been an effort of this project to look for places where we did not have to, to invest the resources in purchasing private land, demolishing buildings, major redevelopment, um, as that just drives up the costs so, so much um, and, is, um, and is really outside the scope of what we're hoping to do with, with this project. So we certainly are sensitive to sites that could be redeveloped down here for a lot of a lot of different mixed uses and things, and we want to fit in with what that could be. Um, but have not yet, as part of this project, kind of taken that mindset of uh, of really expanding the scope to to be more expensive and maybe be part of something lar much larger, uh, larger project. So, like I said, we'll we'll continue to evaluate some of the data and, and bring back some more objective graphs and things that can try to illustrate what we're hearing and and um, try to start addressing some of the things that that are coming up um, but that is really all of the 
content I had related to the facility update, and I'm happy to um, answer any questions or go back through anything that you've seen tonight. Mike Wazkowski, PTAC Chair. Does anyone have any questions? Uh, primarily timeline and survey results, but also if you have any others on the concept we were briefed on. Kuzmiak, MM, sorry, PTAC, I guess also MMTC. I'm so used to saying that as well. Um, Adam, I had a couple questions on the survey results. I'm assuming these are not just from the survey, but some of these concerns were probably echoed at the open house and focus group uh, meetings. Is that correct? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, so, question on the Bob Billings and Crestline comments for light noise and environmental impact and the anticipated traffic, all those things. Um, I, did you get any sense of how many of these comments or concerns were from people who actually lived in the area or were just people who were just generally concerned about the overall location? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, I think that a lot of the concerns are from people who live in um, the Sunset Hills Neighborhood Association, which is north of this site. I, I don't know uh, specifically how many people we spoke to who are from the Meadowbrook complex, which is right there. I got the sense that at least some of the comments were from people beyond that, kind of in the, the single family homes that are north of that area. Um, but it was, uh, those, those type of concerns are more so coming from people who, who live around the area and are, are concerned about new activity that they haven't, haven't seen before. Okay, that gives me a PTAC. So I guess when you say around like not the immediate area, but just like sort of nearby, um, and not maybe as directly affected as those who who actually live in the Meadowbrook apartments. Um, again, I guess I don't want to make too many assumptions, but I don't I, I don't believe many people have identified. You know, I live at that they've lived at Meadowbrook and and have these specific concerns. Okay, good to know. Um, yeah, the reason I just bring it up is because I. I recall during the original search for a location that this was pretty much the only neighborhood that was actually supportive. So I was just curious to see if that was still consistent with the original, uh, I guess, feelings that they were having. Uh, downtown, I had heard that some of these comments came up during the focus groups with business owners downtown. Do you get the sense that these are a couple of kind of more vocal um, uh, factions or that it's a, a more widespread concern. Um, this is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, there have been few, um, there have been few businesses that have proactively come out in support. I think uh, most of what we hear from are very, very concerned about um, particularly parking issues. And I, th I think um, that's probably where the biggest challenge lies and in, in, in that I don't believe it's going to be feasible for us to have an option that uh, displaces zero parking spots or adds parking spaces. So um, that's just something we'll have to continue to talk through what we think are reasonable alternatives and you know that the idea that we are of the same, we have the, the same goals as business owners is that we do want more people downtown. I think there's there's disagreement about how best to achieve that. I think there's the supply side argument of 
more parking brings more people. And I think there's the demand side, which maybe we come from, which is um, how do we bring the same or more people in less space? And we think transit's a, a good way to do that. Um, so that it has been um, challenging, I know, for, for, for many uh, businesses to think about, particularly following a COVID year, um, to think about you know, losing any more any more parking, um, but we, like I said, we're trying to plan not only for this year but also for five years from now, twenty years from now, and and how we uh, how do we best serve people coming to and from the downtown area. That gives me a P tech. Well, it sounds like you're already on the right track and face a bit of an uphill battle, but it sounds like it's it's really just this uh, single uh, faction of business owners and not necessarily public at large, which is good to hear. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, like you said, there's really no realistic way to not take away some parking spots. But as I'm sure you're already doing, hopefully the business owners are aware of that parking study that was done that showed that scarcity of parking is really more of a perception and frankly, just laziness on the part of many consumers than an actual issue. Um, so hopefully they are familiar with that parking study and can start reading you know, what the reality of parking is versus what just they think it is. So um, you guys are doing good work and I'm glad to see it uh, hopefully making some headway here. Uh, this is Mike Wazikowski, P-Tech Chair. Uh, in terms of trying to do everything, I'd just like to note, we did this, or I think it was you actually, Nick, last month mentioned the idea of trying to build a parking garage that provides additional parking and provides all the bus uh, access underneath the cover in downtown area. It, the problem is the cost. We're already, as you noted, we're already running to budget issues and that's why we designed a new concept to save money for the Bob Billings location. It seems silly to me to try to propose something that's gonna blow our budget out of the water just because we need certain aspects on what the downtown location should be. Excuse me, P-Tech, I agree. I think that the budget as it stands seems sufficient for getting this thing off the ground. And I think that both of the options appear to have room to be modified later should they need to be. Um, I don't think either of them truly lock us into some kind of land use pattern that we just can't get out of. I mean, for example, if that parking lot in Vermont needs to eventually change into something, there is room to do it. Um, maybe not in the entire um, plot of land, but even with the bus transfer center along with the sidewalk currently is in that first row of parking, I think there is still a decent opportunity in the future to do something else with that parking lot. So um, I think the designs we have now, even though they're not perfect, don't necessarily preclude the possibility of future improvements. Are there any other members of PTAC who have comments, questions, concerns? Uh, last for PTAC, Vice Chair, I, I just kind of want to reiterate and remind all that as far as uh, downtown business owners sharing their concerns about parking or their perceptions of the role of public transportation. Um, as was said before, this is nothing new or nothing unique to Lawrence, and it's something that as, as we move forward, it's just an area that we'll have to try to continue to reach out and help educate and communicate. Um, and I think this is a good opportunity also for the Multimodal Transportation Committee to 
kind of uh, be on on board with that kind of thing as well, and that um, there's there's definitely room for communication and education there, but it's going to be a kind of more of a long term thing. And there's there are a few particular business owners that are going to be against just about anything that is proposed for public transit, and there's going to be some others that are very supportive. So we just have to kind of work with that. Thank you, Lance. Any other members of PTAC with comments, questions, or concerns? Okay, hearing none, uh, thank you very much for everyone who uh, provided such feedback. And thank you, Adam, for presenting that information to us today. Next item on the agenda is an update on electric buses and trying to get those in service. Uh, again, I believe you have a presentation, Adam. I do, a short one. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Okay. You all can see the presentation, correct? Okay. So, I want to provide an update on electric buses since we um, are now uh, in a very exciting way working with overlapping projects, but that's a good, uh, a good problem to have in this regard, I believe. Um, so, I'm going to give an update on our current, our uh, LONO project that we won in 2020, as well as some details about the uh, recent LONO electric bus that we were, um, electric bus project we were awarded this calendar year. Uh, we'll look at the timelines for each of those. And then there's also a state grant application for a zero emission transition plan that may play into this. Um, that was one of the AIC grant applications that uh, we had sought support from this group for uh, last month. Um, but I can talk a little more about what that entails and, um, and how that fits into uh, to our electrification efforts. So with our, with our project that we won in 2020, um, and this was the project for uh, five electric buses and charging infrastructure to go along with that, we, are, uh, we have the bus contract complete, so we're, we're getting ready to have some meetings that uh, spec out exactly what those buses will look like, what their floor, their seating plans will look like, um, lots of the technical details. Um, we continue to work on the contract related to the charging equipment that will be installed early next year. This calendar year, and particularly this, uh, this summer and fall, uh, KU Facilities Planning and Development is, is helping guide the installation of charging infrastructure out at the <coughs> maintenance facility. So um, working with Westar to get electricity and transformers where we need it. Uh, running conduit and the concrete pads that the new charging dispensers will be set upon. Um, that's all going to happen this year so that we're ready to go. And uh, then next year is all about um, early in the spring we'll get in the, the charging stations themselves and buses will start arriving. Um, we'll work on putting those buses out on the street, doing plenty of testing, but, but do plan to have those go into service by August of 2022. Um, so about the same time that facilities are, 
our opening. As far as the uh, low-no emissions uh, project that we just won in 2021, uh, that project is for two additional buses. So uh, really where we want to get with our bus replacement schedule is purchasing about two or three fixed route buses each year, um, as opposed to uh, purchasing large blocks of buses. Um, spreading out our purchases can help kind of mitigate, you know, if there's a year we're not able to buy all that we need to, or we don't win a grant, or, or things like that. Um, that's harder to deal with if you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket and trying to buy six or eight or ten buses at once. So trying to get to the point where we're following this vehicle replacement schedule of, of two or three a year, and um, this award will help us do that. Uh, so these two buses will um, follow on the current project. We did submit the grant application with the same partners. So we will continue to work with uh, the Center for Transportation and the Environment, CTE, for project management. Uh, that's the group that had presented to PTAC um, several months ago with modeling and different analysis of electric buses and how they would perform on our routes and <coughs> projected cost savings through um, fuel savings and maintenance uh, reductions and that sort of thing. They'll again help us with all of that work um, and also with some of the procurement work. We're still partnering with Gillig for the buses, although it is um, looking like these two buses should have higher um, range. They should have a little increased battery capacity, which tends to happen if not every year, every couple of years, it seems like has been the pace in the electric bus industry um, with range going up and up and up. Um, so that should be the case with these, these two additional buses. Charge point again for the, all the charging equipment we need and KU again to help uh, coordinate all design and construction services out at the facility that they own. So these are uh, essentially one year behind the five buses that we expect next year. So these buses will go into service um, two years from now, which is a long time to think about. But once we uh, uh, kind of get this train rolling, you know, buses will be coming each year, so it won't seem so far away. But um, yeah, this latest one we won will be uh, in August of 2023. I just laid that out graphically. Um, so. Again, our current project um, through fall of this year, looking at charging infrastructure and design. Spring, we get the five buses. Um, spring and summer, we run what's called overlay service. So we'll put them out into service in addition to our regular bus service that's out on the street, as opposed to, um, as opposed to replacing one of the vehicles that's out there. So um, if we've got two buses running on a route, we'll put a third one out that's the electric bus and we'll run it for a few hours so that we don't risk losing any service if something were to happen, but we do get to see how it performs um, kind of in real in real service. Uh, and again, looking at August 22, uh, 2022 for those to go in to service. For the grant we just won um, later this fall and through summer next year is when a lot of the analysis and modeling uh, will happen. We'll be starting to develop a lot of contracts, which should be easier second time around. It should um, be a lot less building from scratch, but a lot more 
tweaking what we had done this year. Late next year, finishing up anything we need to do infrastructure-wise. And then in 2023, again, having those buses arrive in spring for testing and by August, uh, able to go into service. Before I touch on AIC, any questions about the two concurrent low no emissions grant projects that we got going on? We can come back to it if needed. So AIC, so another piece of this puzzle is we are pretty, we are confident at, um, at the steps we've taken so far to electrify fleet. I think we've got good plans in place to make sure these buses perform how we need them to perform, to be on routes like diesel buses and um, uh, you know, taking advantage of the low uh, rate that Evergy has for overnight transit vehicle charging. I think we've got a lot of good pieces in place for these first seven vehicles. When it comes to looking at larger scale kind of overhaul of our fleet and how we get to fully renewable fleet, um, we really need to have a plan in place, an operational plan in place, um, some financial planning in place to make sure that can all line out how we expect it to. But we really are, are taking on this effort um, as a result and in line with uh, Resolution 9744, which is um, what the City Commission passed a, a few years ago related to um, all municipal services being powered by renewable energy sources by 2035. And that includes vehicles, city vehicles. So we're on pace to make that happen as long as we um, don't have to invest in another 12-year uh, commitment to a diesel bus. So we'd like to stay on this track. Um, in order to do that, we really need a zero emission transition plan. Um, so I, I bulleted out some of the things that type of plan would include. Um, so certainly looking more holistically at the infrastructure we would need at our maintenance facility, um, how the bus parking layout might change for the um, you know, more than 100 vehicles we have out there. Uh, looking at range needs for um, for all vehicle blocks, so for all the blocks of time that our vehicles are out on the street running running on route. Um, you know, up to this point, we've been modeling for uh, to ensure that we have options for which routes we can put these buses on. But there are some that currently the range doesn't quite let us do uh, because of topography or it's a long route or it stops frequently, um, a number of different things can impact impact the range. So uh, this takes a more holistic look at that and is very closely tied to the next bullet, which is looking at not only electric options, but I know hydrogen fuel cells is becoming popular in some areas, particularly Europe. Um, there's some added infrastructure for that type of um, service, which is more complicated than electricity. So. Taking a closer look at that is important to see if if uh, it's worth evaluating that that kind of angle. Um, you know, renewables doesn't have to be electric. It's just the the one that's the most feasible for us, uh, kind of operationally right now. And then obviously costs and funding. We've been really uh, fortunate and have put in a lot of work trying to get grant funds to to allow us to do this um, do this transition uh, towards electric. But really, without those grant funds, the economics are a lot harder um, when you don't have that big upfront 
uh, chunk of money to help you get there. So uh, what happens in the year that we don't win grant funding? What, you know, what's our pivot? What do we, um, how do we still try to meet this, this need of trying to become more renewable, more sustainable, but afford doing so? So those are some of the elements. We'll find out um, if we have been awarded this particular AIC grant and the others we applied for um, sometime in August. We don't have a, a specific date, but we'll, we'll certainly keep this group aware on, on um, hopefully our success in, in, again, kind of looking at, at the way we transition our fleet um, from a, a kind of an orderly structured sense of, of doing some operational planning. So with that, uh, that is the content I have for you on electric bus projects, uh, current and future, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Al Ackman, PTAC member. Um, as they move to the uh, full re renewable uh, sources, do they um, look at any issues with uh, power outages? Um, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff in the paper recently with uh, all the meddling and software challenges that other, other industries are facing with uh, people hacking in and um, just the idea of having a completely electric system and then have it, uh, have it hacked or have it not available. Um, and then how do you support uh, uh, you know, your, the, the system if, if the, uh, if the uh, electricity is not there? Yes, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Those are two, two great points and ones I would expect. Uh, they didn't show up in my short bullet list here, but I would expect the plan to also address security and how you know um, when things are managed from that kind of back-end platform, how we keep that secure. Um, I know there's a number of, um, of different ways to look at power outages and how to handle those. Um, I am aware that some agencies who've had um, who've had electric buses now for a, a period of time are considering when they need to, when their battery capacity starts to drop below like 80% of, um, of its new use capability, they, and, and they have to replace those batteries. Um, some agencies in some cases are, are retaining the old batteries and building their own power stack to essentially keep as a, as a generator they can use either for the building or to to have always charged to repower buses in events of power outages. So there's there's different things that can be done. Um, that's just one of them, but, but you certainly bring up a, an important point we'd have to think critically about. As Pal Action PTAC member again, uh, yeah, that's important. It's, it's a good idea to repurpose those uh, resources. Uh, anybody that's dealt with making sure batteries that have been sitting uh, for a while or available when you need them can maybe talk to the, the reality of that that situation um, and then also with uh, West uh, I should have, well, not West Harbor, but uh, Energy shutting down the Lawrence uh, Energy Center um, that provides you know a, a nice uh, power uh, source you know in, for us in, in, in the Lawrence area uh, that just means that you know all of our backup energy, so to speak, is going to be provided by remote uh, locations, which, you know, you're, then you're subject to uh, things like storms and and things that maybe we don't quite have that exposure with a, a local generation site. But uh, actually, I'm sure that's all, get, all gets considered in the, in the final works. 
Uh, Lance Fade, PTAC Vice Chair. Uh, so since this is a somewhat more of a long-term transition, um, there's a few other things that are you know, going to change somewhat. Um, our overall energy infrastructure is probably going to change a bit. Battery technology and recharging will probably continue to advance. And so those are things that we just have to kind of keep in mind and may need to be kind of rethought periodically. Um, and, and as far as funding goes as well, um, keep in mind also that within this time frame, um, we're going to be up for another tax referendum, um, 2028, seven, something like that. And so this is kind of a, a bigger long-term thing with a lot of moving parts. <laughs> so having a nice little framework to, framework to start with is great, but there's so many things that are going to change and fairly rapidly in the next few years that um, we may not even know exactly right now. So it's, it's a good place to start. <laughs> Tech. Um, I'm kind of curious for anybody who's, I guess, more versed in the transit landscape and research and all that. Um, are there any U.S. transit agencies that are actually running hydrogen power buses, or is that just a Europe thing, or where are we with that? Uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. I don't know that I'm prepared to confidently say yes or no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, so. This is Mike Wozkowski, PTAC chair. I'm not sure specifically about buses, but at least when you're talking any kind of passenger vehicle, including like personal cars, the hydrogen fuel cell market is extremely small right now. Right, it's just Southern car, California. The only car that I'm aware of is the Toyota Mirai, which I believe they've only sold something like five or 10,000 combined units since they introduced it. And as far as I know, the only refueling stations we have in the continental United States are in uh, California. It's just for right now, hydrogen fuel cells are kind of a pipe dream because nobody's figured out a safe way to uh, collect hydrogen and put it into a vehicle to power. I mean, we all know what happened with the Hindenburg, or I hope we all do. So uh, that's one good reason potentially to avoid using hydrogen to power it or to power any buses. I understand that electricity isn't going to provide everything we need, but there's good reasons why companies have not gone with hydrogen fuel cells so far. Thank you, P-Tech. If I recall, the issue is that, yeah, it looks like what Margaret was saying is actually what I was about to say is that there's, there's a trying to get the hydrogen in the first place is kind of tricky as well. I didn't realize there was, let's see, the only place that makes a time with the plant. Yeah. So usually y you only get hydrogen from like refineries. It's, it's kind of hard to make. Um, there is technology that can make it as a byproduct of, of uh, paralysis, which is a form of waste destruction. So, I mean, there's a chance that you could actually make hydrogen in town, but that's a whole nother kind of project. And that's way outside the scope of us. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking of, explosive things is biogas on the table as well. I think there's a lot of large vehicles that are run on CNG, um, especially landfills who usually will just get it from, straight from the landfill, power the trash trucks and just, you know, roll with that. But I mean, CNG can be made renewable. So 
This uh, is Margaret DeFries from KU Transportation Services. I actually participated in a city steering uh, committee back in, I think, 2008, before we bought our first hybrid buses, uh, before the city did, um, that researched CNG versus hybrid versus hydrogen. And CNG has a much more significant infrastructure requirement than most other eco-friendly technologies. So a lot of research would need to be done about the cost of compressing the natural gas at our site before we could consider that. Hey, Kuzmiak, P-Tech. Um, I mean, I would say compared to hydrogen, it's still a gas that you have to make somewhere and take it somewhere else. So like, it sounds really similar to hydrogen, except for that there may be different explosion risks. I don't know. But most facilities that use compressed bio natural gas in their site usually just have a compressor as part of the purification system. And there's a couple of companies that just sell turnkey um, uh, CNG systems precisely for this purpose. But that's relatively new. That's only like past five years. So it's possible that things have gotten a little bit more interesting, uh, especially since 2008 was right at the genesis of both the renewable fuel standard and the low carbon fuel standard. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if advances in federal policy have kind of um, driven a lot of technological innovations that may make it different. But what I do remember Bob Nugent saying is that just the having buses that run on CNG, there, there's issues with just... Um, changes in temperature, even going uphill or down a hill can kind of give you a false reading on the tank. And again, I don't know if that's from pre-2010 or not, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that would need to be researched. I, I guess I would just advocate to, if we're tossing in hydrogen, may as well toss in biogas as well, right? Because that's another thing that we could technically make in Lawrence. This is Mike Wazikowski, P-TECH chair. Does anyone else have any comments, questions, concerns about this project? Okay, hearing none, uh, thank you very much for that presentation, Adam, and for that information. Next on the agenda is, uh, do any PTAC members have future agenda or work session items you'd like to add or to discuss today? Uh, as a reminder, if you don't want to bring it up today, you can always email myself and Lance and Adam, and we'll discuss adding it to the agenda for the next meeting. Uh, Nick, I saw your hand go up. Yep. Thanks. Nick Kuzmiak, PTAC. Um, so I've been talking with a couple of MMTC commissioners offline about um, the desire to future-proof the transit uh, transfer facility, both the downtown one and the uh, uh, centralized one. And a, a concept that kept popping up was the idea of micro transit, which sounds like, you know, a new trendy thing that we're just kind of looking into here. But in reality, it's been around for, geez, about 100 years all over the world. It's just something that's kind of been, um, I don't know if priced out is the right word, but, you know, we used to have things like jitneys and car hire and, and all sorts of kind of unusual smaller scale vehicles that were sometimes run by private um, entities kind of to compete with public transit. And I guess where I'm going with this is um, I'd be really curious to have kind of some sort of study session to see 
what the trends are in microtransit in the U.S. And if there's any benefit to even looking into it in terms of better coverage, um, cheaper service, lower overhead, uh, stuff like that. So just putting putting that out there. I like that idea. Thank you, Nick. Um, we'll have to coordinate with the MMTC committee chair and vice chair to see what kind of timing would work best for us on that. Adam Weigel, uh, Transit Parking Manager. I might just add on that topic that microtransit will absolutely come up and be discussed through the route redesign study. Um, that'll be certainly a type of service we look at in addition to fixed route, how we deliver transit in Lawrence. So there may just be an opportune time to, um, we're, we're probably getting close to that point as, as we've wrapped up the survey related to route redesign really over the next couple of months is when uh, uh, our consultant is putting together route scenarios, which would include things like microtransit. Um, so here over the next couple of months, there there will there should be time for that type of uh, that type of discussion. It may or may not be kind of a specific focus study session. It might it might belong more in the context of how we deliver transit service throughout Lawrence as part of that route redesign study. But I can keep you all updated on how that's progressing. Excuse me, Tech, that sounds good enough to me. As long as it's um, brought up in some context, I'm, yeah, that sounds great. Um, Lance Faye, Vice Chair of Tech. Uh, this is, uh, some. I, since I ride the buses quite a bit, I, I do talk to you and get to know some of the drivers and have gotten to know some of the maintenance personnel as well. And um, at some point, I don't know to what capacity we're able to or permitted to bring up uh, personnel concerns, uh, whether they be training or amount of drivers, things of that nature. Uh, but I'm hearing a lot about that. And would, to whatever level we could be allowed to bring that up and address any of those concerns, I would like to see that done. Uh, I just don't know, because there's a union in, a, in the First Transit involved, I, I don't know how much we can, but I would like to, to whatever level we can, I think that should be brought up, particularly if we're going to start having more electric buses and the mechanics and the training and everything for that. You know, like, how's that being addressed? And it just would be nice to be able to touch on that sometime. Thank you, Lance. Is there anyone else, a PTAC member, who has an item that they'd like us to discuss now or add to a future agenda? Okay. Next item on today's agenda is an update from uh, Freddie, and if you were here in August, on the route redesign study at a steering committee meeting on June 22nd. Hey, this is Pete Tech member Freddie Gipp. Um, from the meeting on June 22nd was a follow-up with Foursquare. Uh, they were sharing uh, their market analysis that kind of had a variety of questions pertaining to what they received on um, multiple outlets like stake, like uh, stakeholder input and other variety. Um, one thing in particular, uh, Adam, I think you can follow up with this. Uh, 
they were talking about they mentioned something about the schools whether to uh whether to incorporate the data in the schools or the school boundaries for both universities and i emphasized that you know because they weren't going to um they weren't going to look at it. Well, I think they had two sets and there was one set that they didn't want to use or not that they didn't want to, but it was a focusing on like the Haskell students or the KU students and their transportation needs. And um, I think we specifically reiterated to them that they need to include it because there are a lot of Haskell students that don't have transportation. And so I think that that was, um, that was one thing that I specifically mentioned and uh, feel free to uh, chime in to Adam, but uh Essentially, that's what it was. And then the next meeting's on the 27th. But it was essentially, it was just following up um, what they're doing and uh, how um, how things are going so far. Yeah, and this is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. And Freddie's right. They had, um, they had actually mistakenly failed kind of their first run through analysis of population data. They had failed to put in uh, both Haskell and KU students to kind of show the heat map of where um, uh, certain targeted groups of people live that we're trying to serve with transit, one of those being people who are young. Um, and in doing so, they kind of realized that that did allow them to better see hot spots throughout the rest of town uh, because there is such a concentration of young people both on Haskell's campus and KU's campus it can tend to, for, for lack of a better word, kind of dilute where the hotspots are throughout the rest of town of where those pockets of young people live. So um, initially they were like, well, this, you know, this told us a different story than we expected. And um, there's, there's something interesting about that. But Freddie's right that, I mean, it, it also, if, if we only did that, it would suggest that uh, like we, sh we shouldn't prioritize, you know, routes going through a, a place like Haskell's campus, which obviously we um, need to do that as well. So I think um, at this point they, they might show both maps in order to tell the story in two different ways, um, but certainly not leave out the importance of, of serving young people both on Haskell campus and, and KU campus. Um, so I'm hoping I characterize that okay, Freddie. Yep. Okay, thank you for that uh, update, uh, Freddie. Do any other PTAC members have uh, questions for him? Okay. Excuse me, PTAC. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Nick. Sorry, I just had a quick question. Um, in your, I guess, discussions with a consultant, are you are you seeing so far that potential route redesigns are going to be able to take advantage of the centralized bus transfer hub um, and cut down on times and transfers and everything? Because I believe that was kind of the original driver to having a centralized transit hub. And I know the route design isn't fully complete, but I'm just curious if there are any kind of initial indications on whether that is actually coming true. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I think we're still too early. That's that's clearly a goal of it. And I'm, I'm sure we will see um, that happened particularly with its proximity to major corridors, Bob Billings and Iowa. So I expect to see that happen, but um, scenarios really haven't hit the page yet. So we, uh, we, we don't know for sure kind of how things are gonna shake out until we start to see some, some options for scenarios. Sounds good. 
Thanks. Are there any other comments, questions, or concerns for Freddie? Okay. Next item on the agenda, uh, some brief transit staff updates. Uh, looks like Adam, you wanted to comment on the uh, bus stop service improvement to restoration of a route and an update on mobile fare payment schemes. Yes, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So I just wanted to bring to your attention, uh, there's been some things in the newspaper recently about our, um, bus, our, our bus stop improvements that we're doing currently um, as part of our annual program that we budget in. Um, so those uh, are also supplemented by a few other ways we've tried to be opportunistic with bus stop improvements. Um, one of those being that each summer when the city does its uh, street repaving program, um, we will look at bus stops that are along streets being repaved. And while there's already mobilized uh, concrete trucks in these areas, we will um, ask them to pour pads, at least for ADA compliance, at stops that we have along those street sections. So we're getting a handful of stops improved uh, that way um, this summer and fall probably more in the fall. Um, there will be some sidewalk work done on East 19th Street between Haskell and Harper. And we've got a handful of stops out there that we're also uh, incorporating with that, um, that street project or that sidewalk project. Um, so we're looking at close to 30, just under 30 uh, bus stops improved this, this summer and fall, um, which is a big step forward for us. We're pretty excited about being able to to bring that all together um, and you know a number of these are going to be shelters and, and benches some of them will just be uh, their lower ridership or we're um, you know not able to to fully leverage something like a street project so some of them will just be kind of a, a concrete connector to the public sidewalk so that uh, people don't have to walk through grass to get to the bus um, but a good number of bus stops improved, improved this year, and we'll try to keep, keep up on that in future years. Uh, Route 11, uh, this is really, I, I could kick this over to Margretta, but the, uh, there is some service restoration on, on Route 11 for this upcoming year. So on the B schedule throughout this last year, we've had service go to 90 minutes, and I'm happy to, to see some of that service come back. I know Margretta and the team at KU worked hard to figure out a way to make that happen. Um, so I don't know, Margaret, if you want to say anything else about that. Um, you know, we eliminated it last year because of the pandemic and the questionableness of having no idea what student the funding would look like and how many students were back. And so we were very pleased when our budget analyst told us that we could plan for our regular level of service that we have had before the pandemic and so putting back the service on route 11 was a very easy choice to make we're pretty excited about it too yeah it's great news and um just as a reminder route 11 is one of the two routes that the city and university coordinate on so route 11 and 29 we both put um we both invest service hours into those routes so um, that's exciting to see that come back and then the final bullet I have um, is about mobile fare payment. I expected to have maybe a little more of an update this time around, but we're still in uh, uh, contract negotiations uh, with Token Transit to 
try to finalize a mobile fare payment option. So our, our goal is to try to get that in place by August 1. We will still try to push for that, but I imagine we might that uh, deadline might slip a little bit. Um, but hopefully early this fall, we'll be able to have the option to purchase bus fare and use bus fare on your phone um, as an additional option to our, our paper and, and cash options. Um, so we'll keep you updated on, on the progression of that. That is all I have. Okay, thank you very much, Adam. Anyone have any comments, questions, concerns about those updates? Okay, hearing nothing. Well, we are at the end of our agenda. So uh, our next meeting will be August 9th. Uh, I believe same place, same time online. I haven't heard anything about uh, returning to be in person. And frankly, with Delta cases on the rise, I love to try and bring us back anyway. So we'll aim to do this remotely unless anyone wants to show up in person for the city commission room session. Thank you very much for your time today and we'll look forward to seeing you next month.